And that's why I'm not such a good horror role player or horror gamer because in horror, it's all about not doing things and taking a step back and basically trying to let the atmosphere take you into inaction because the minute you take action, horrible things will start happening. That's a tough thing as a player horror. You take action, you don't take action because everything around you tells you... That you should not take action, but you are supposed to take, take action. action. And yeah, it's difficult. That's why for horror, the best horror game I played was very... Nibiru, right? Besides Nibiru. Oh yeah, yeah sure. Now you're going to tell me that about stuff. Nibiru is the best recorded one, but it was Joe Trier from our Reroll podcast, mm-hmm. which is a big horror podcast. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's his thing. You know, he does it semi-professionally. So I know what's uh, up. But it was kind of, to use the R word, railroady. You know, it was very... Linear, linear, but it made it clear and easy what we were supposed to do and not do. And then you could be immersed in the thing and enjoy the horror rather than, than be afraid of. uh, That's why sometimes Call of Tulu, you're like, oh, you need to investigate. So you need to take action. And if you miss the investigation, you grind the story to a halt. But then, (laughs) then the horror. So you go in there and you're like, oh, and you got killed because that was a stupid thing to do. And you're like, Ah, oh, you see, that's the thing I really hear about Call of Duty because it's like, hey, I took action, excellent, loose sanity. I'm like, so I shouldn't take action then, should I? Should I just stay at home and go to bed? What's the point? Well, you're supposed to, you know, take action in spite of, no, no, don't freaking tell me that. That's not what the rules say. The rules say don't take action. Look at it. It's telling me not to take action. I find that so restrictive. I can't get past it because sanity and all of that just gets to me and it's, I love the concept of Call of Cthulhu. I love the idea that you're slowly going insane over the horrible things that you're seeing because your brain can't process it. But when you're playing it, it always shuts me down. I'm always like, yeah, here we go. Okay, I made the roll. Yeah, I see the thing. Okay, I'm now temporarily insane. Great. Great. I lost agency. It's not even fun or interesting to role play. (laughs) Give me something where I'm... I'm stressed, I'm anxious because of something, but then it impacts my roleplay. It gives me material to, to push forward. Well, that's what it is about the temporary insanity. Though. They're supposed to be like, all right, okay, you now don't like cars for some reason. You flee from them. I'm like, great, that's really not going to help me in the situation that we're in with cars, is it? Well, I guess I jump out of the car. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just feels like I'm taking my agency away because I have to now follow some arbitrary rule that you've made up. Game. But horror games are still a beautiful niche that should always be treasured. It's why Chaosium is so big. Because Chaosium has spent a lot of time in the last few years... Selling Cthulhu plushies? Selling Cthulhu plushies. Please get me one. And tentacle manga. Listen, I need one for my house. But Chaosium has spent a lot of time building on the idea of horror and expanding what the horror can do and how you interpret it. That's why they have Pop Cthulhu. So they can go, look, if you're like Lloyd, who really gets bored the second he has to roll sanity. And they got a picture of you when they said that. <laughs> they're like, in like the shops. this game is for this person. <laughs> He's a bit trash. So we as a human race, we as a society, we as a human race. The beautiful human race today in 2020. <laughs> we as a human race are terrified of things. But I feel we roleplay not to go down to that part, not to go down to the part that I'm not happy with or terrified. Put it to get away from that. And I feel okay, we've also got Call of Cthulhu and games like that bring me back to that fearful part of me that I don't like. And that's why I don't like horror games. At the same time, it's, I mean, that's the bit of immersion I like. There's that word again. It's like watching uh, some good movies. You forget yourself in the movie and it's a question of taste. We're about to hit Halloween this month. Some people like horror movies, others don't. Halloween during COVID-19 times. That's going to be fun, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But you you know, actually, that's a good point. You are willing to go in a horror story or watch a horror movie when First, it's a safe experience of that fear. Yes. But it's nice when you are having a sort of day-to-day life, which does not include 
those feelings of fear. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the pleasure of the horror is that you get out of the movie afterwards. I believe I'm not the biggest horror buff. I'm kind of a horror buff, not so much. It's like a roller coaster or something. You put yourself in a emotional state and the pleasure is that you do it in a controlled, safe manner. And then you come back to it and you're next to the roller coaster. You're not on the roller coaster anymore. And you're like, that was fun for, for a time. moment, which brings me to the other thing about horror that's so good horror is also its own mini genres within it which you can play up and some of them are better than others for people who don't like horror for example we have let's say my three main staples we have the ring which is all jump scares terrible things happening and you just being freaked out constantly things just leaping screaming at you and giving you scares people love that then we have the babysitter, which is not about jump scares. It's just about silly, dumb horror nonsense and gore and dumbness, which is a entirely different thing. And if the ring is like Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu, the babysitter is like the final girl, but way cooler. And then we have the other horror, the horror that creeps under your skin and freaks you out. Not from jump scares, not from weird things leaping up at you, not from gore, but from the unending ease that everything is wrong and there's nothing you can do to fix it. Like Marianne, the TV series. I don't it's know a that French one. TV series, right? About this lady writer who has to go home for a friend's funeral and finds out that the books she's been writing have been given to her by a malevolent spirit, using it to basically gain power and strength along the world from her writing. And it's also the most creepiest terrifying thing i have ever watched and there are like four jump scares in all eight episodes what is it available netflix netflix it's called marianne all of those three horror things i'm a big fan of babysitter because that's just dumb fun nonsense i don't like jump scares and that's what i always feel horror tries to get me the whole idea of spooking up but marianne's like weird creepy horror it's very much like cults writing where it tries to scare you on the inside and just make you feel wrong about all things happening and those are like the three horror th genres that i'm used to and i don't like because they all make me feel bad and babysitter is more like pop cthulhu which i love so when it comes to trying to establish what horror you like and what horror you want to run it helps to know what subgenre of horror that you're into and for me, Final Girl is a great game. I highly recommend to everyone else. It's a nice little game where you play people being taken down by a killer one by one. And it's hilarious and it's fun and it's exciting. And it works in a way that I never thought possible. That and um, that is laughing. I can't remember the name who did it. It's, I think it's Chris something. I can't remember the name of the guy. But Dice Laughing is also another game where you get picked off one by one. But it's also like a really fun, silly horror thriller genre. And those are the kind of like horror games that I get into compared to everything else that goes with that. I'm a monster. I'm a monster. I'm a monster. I'm much bigger than you ever thought and I'm Listening in to your every thought, I'm a monster. I'm a monster, and my claws are scratching up my face in the morning when I go to shave. I'm a monster. I'm a monster.
interesting because you got the schools of horror and then if you take them to a role-playing game then you got the school of role-playing game because again you could play something which is the game master has the story and you're the first person character in that story or you could have a game in which you come up with the story together small storytelling sharing uh, and so on aren't all role-playing games storytelling sharing <sighs> you can stretch it to say yes But I think it's... I recently tweeted, uh, someone invited hot takes. Don't like hot takes, but I, I did go with this one. <laughs> and I, I was saying that... I, I did a hot take after reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, bad. I said that at this point, personally, I find uh, on Twitter, uh, the 50 person active on my own Twitter feed, the people saying that role-playing games are storytelling games are for me as bad and uh, as annoying and slightly narrow-minded as the people who are saying that the tradition of the game master was got control. I think the both school of thinking at this point, you find people who are equally obnoxious in the two. So, okay. so, so I like, especially for horror, actually, I like not taking care of the storytelling beyond the action of my character. That doesn't mean I'm dismissive or oblivious of what is happening, of what the other players are doing, enjoying or not doesn't mean I close myself to what is going on, but in a horror game, I personally, or even occult mysteries, these sort of things, I don't enjoy as much when I enter a room and the game master tells me something weird happened in that room. What do you think happened? Which is something I can enjoy in Passion de la Passiones. I know a lot of people enjoy, but that's not my fun for a horror game. I'm fine with a pre-written story yes. and I evolve into that thing. That doesn't mean either that the game master is closing his ears to what's happening at the table. It's not reactive and so on. But that means that the legwork, you know, having the story go on and so on and the control, making sure that it fits. For this type of story, I prefer the game master to take most of that work while I concentrate on what my character is doing. And, and again, that doesn't mean I, I do stuff which makes his life more difficult. Uh -huh. It just means that I'm not I'm not gonna describe a room or an NPC. I mean I could, but that's not the main focus of it. It's not it's not clear cut, but uh If it, I may, I feel that your distinction, specifically for that example you brought up, is a type of role play storytelling. Yes. And you prefer not having that in your games, which is perfectly fine. Some people love I'm not that saying story. I prefer never to have that in any game. It's just no, some games, some game, sessions. Specifically yeah. in horror games, you don't like that in there, which is fine. However, it doesn't stop role-playing games of all types still being storytelling-ish because storytelling can not just be limited to the players making things up as they go along. Playing a module and playing it through everything else is still in its own way storytelling. I agree, but, you know, we were discussing terms in D and so on. At the end of the day, I think you can stretch terms to, you know, it's a question, do you narrow the definition of a term or do you widen it? And I'm just trying to narrow it, to find a balance so that it, it's still meaningful into something. But again, that doesn't mean when I play first person mainly into a game, that doesn't mean I'm oblivious of the story which is happening. You know, If there's one episode I recommend people to go check out, and it was very influential in the way I'm thinking of things, was a layer of the games by Misdirected Mark podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think they invented the notion. I think it came from something else. Maybe Robin Dillos. I, I don't know. Uh, but the idea was that you had different layers in a game, and usually you're going to engage to one extent with all the layers, but what takes you out of what you're doing is when different people at the tables are sitting on different layers at the same time, Or if you are asked to move from one layer to another in a non-organic way or a sudden way, that's where you've got immersion breaks. immersion breaks and so on. And that comes out to a point about immersion that I love and hate as well. I feel if you are a role player, you should be able to step in and out of immersion as smoothly as you would anything else in the game. Because... It is true. You can get immersed and get in there. People are like, my immersion is broken. My immersion. But I'm always like, 
your immersion can't be that good because you're still sitting at a table with some dice in front of you and a piece of paper. You're not actually there. People who actually like go like immersion is all I want have to learn to put themselves in and out of a scene. And yeah, fine. Come out of a scene can be like a bit like disorienting for people. But once you master being able to go in and out, your immersion will become better all the more because you'll be able to jump into it. Yeah, but I agree. Easier. But again, it depends the type of game, the type of story you want to tell, the type of game master, but the challenge. And that's why it's nice to be aware of this idea of different layers is that if you take taken from your immersion, the different ways where it becomes more challenging. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's challenging. And for instance, I played a few games with the gunfight again, and they are not immersion-focused, most of them, the one I played. One thing I noticed is that I was struggling. Actually, I couldn't speak with a, a different voice for my character, which is something I, I do for most of the actual plays on the role list, because we had the breathing time to get into the character, and when we were getting out of the character to say something which was happening in terms of game rulings myself as Kalum right, instead of my character or if we were discussing a, a story point we were doing it and then we were going back to the immersion and it was smooth but it was a question of the type of game which were a game that with somewhat long sequence in characters where the game master was the one on the story layer while we were on the character layer and when we would have to go to the story layer it would happen no and then and not suddenly and not right in the middle of a moment when I was fully immersed so if you have your players and you, or if the structure of the game is immersion story, immersion story, immersion story, immersion story, or there's a lot of demand on the story side, you won't really have time to get into the immersion. Or if you're a game master, it's not like dancing, it's rhythm. If you do it at the wrong moment, you're out of step and you're just confused for a second. And then comes the next problem of immersion. If you are good at going in and out of immersion, you can make time for immersion. Because remember, the GM is still working with you on certain things. And you're right, it is immersion story, immersion story, immersion story. But a decent role player knows how to take the spotlight that is happening and use that moment to jump into immersion. And it's a skill. It's a skill you have to have. Not everyone has it. It depends on game again. Well, no, it doesn't. Because that's one of those things that even in a game that doesn't have that in, grabbing the spotlight is a talent and also a skill. Some people are born naturally able to do it, and some people have to learn it. But there is always a way that when there's a spotlight out there, if you pick your time right, you can reach out, grab it, turn it towards you, and use it to help you further the story and get yourself immersed into it at the same time. It is a skill that should not be abused, of course, and it should not be done by just being loud. I think in general, I'm quite grabby at the table. I'm a bit of a bully, even. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, excuse me, excuse me, yeah, I'm I, here. I need to, I'm high. Let's go my character, please. Thank you. I need to get that under control, but there's still types of games or game masters, and it's not a judgment of their quality, I think. It's just, a, again, a type of experience which they enjoy and they offer. With Wu, it was nearly impossible for me to do it. And it's not a bad thing. I think, again, it's because... Those games, if people want to check them out, there was, we played Checkpoint Midnight with Alan from uh, The Gauntlet, which was a lot like that. The point was today we play story rather than play immersion. And I think that's where sometimes it's missing. Sure, discussing over academic terms and so on, it, it, losing yourself, it, it might be a good thing, but I think it's a good thing to start to give adjective to the type of experience. There's been a lot of talk about Session Zero, about the lines and veils and so on. I think we can talk a bit more about what's the type of game here we're trying to get. And by the way, it's totally fine that a game master or group say, this is the type of experience we want to do. It's totally fine for a player to say, that's not what I want and not to take part to the table. If other tables are available, if you're yeah, playing several you're times. Yeah, there is absolutely nothing that stops you from leaving a table. Feel free to leave tables you're not I comfortable think with. Culturally, it's still quite a taboo, both in the sense of, oh, you don't want to play with us, or in the sense of, oh, no, I need to comply. Like, I think it's fine that we say, well, we're not playing that game today together, but we're going to play another game another time together. Because sometimes the discourse is also, that game masters or groups should accommodate everything 
all the time. I think we should be a welcoming community, but that doesn't mean if you show up in a, I don't know, 80s classic evening of dancing <laughs> that you go there knowingly and you don't expect to have Daft Punk being played there. To stay slightly on topic of your two things, uh, one, I feel you, you distinguish immersion and story too much. I feel you haven't reached a point where those two can be together at the same time. They can be, you know, they're parallel, but different in nature and they can be in different focus. Yeah. It's just that's where your effort is happening. And I'm with you on that, but you have stated immersion and story separately various times throughout today. Yeah, because, you know, that's the problem of language is that we describe things by contrasting them, but things definitely happen at the same time regardless. So would you say that when you are being immersed, you are following the story? Or would you say that when there's a story, you find it hard to immerse yourself in it? When I'm contributing to the story by having my uh, processing capacity engaging in, okay, so what's going to happen next or what's happening? When I'm busy being creative with story or plot points, I cannot be in character Uh right at the same time or at least as much. But again, that doesn't mean that when I'm immersed, I'm in character, I'm dismissive. I'm still aware enough of the story not to wreck it. Which is what brings me to the point. So at what stage does immersion for you and story not meet? In practice, they always overlap to some extent. It's just in terms of trying to categorize, to discuss and explain them that they can be differentiated, but they always overlap. I guess it's like, it's like you were discussing ingredients versus recipe. Well, let's take it like this. If you're in a scene and you are playing Detective Badass McGee and you go into a room and the GM says, you go into a room, there is a pot there, it is brown. Does your reaction of it is a brown pot, I go to interact with it, is that immersion? And is your reaction of what else is in the room story? I mean, it could be what else is in the room immersion, so I don't really differentiate the two. Well, that's the thing, though, because... In one, you are asking for you are asking for the story to be explained to you, and in the other, you are interacting with the story in your immersive state to act on it. Those are two separate things, right? Well, I would separate the thing with the pottery on the table is that in immersion, I see the pot and maybe I can go take action with the pot or I ask for more information. Okay, what does the pot look like? And I'm told what my character sees of the pot. Something which would bring me on the story layer as the player and out of my immersion would be, I would be asked, tell me what's in the pot. Ah. So then I'm not immersed. I'm third person. So would you say that the thing that counts as story is when you contribute a fact or fiction to the current plot as that being story? I can contribute to the story while immersed when I do or say things that my character can do or say. My immersion is put in the back burner when I'm asked to define things which is outside the perception or the means of my character. When I'm asked what's in that pottery pot, unless I'm playing a magical being who can summon stuff inside the pot, suddenly I'm not badass uh, Maggie. Badass Maggie. I'm Kalum contributing to the plot. Well, how about a side note? What if they go up to the pot and it says your name of your partner, like oh um, my god, we get Fem, Fem Fatal Fabulous, Fabulous Fem Fatal is on there, and we go Fem Fatal Fabulous is your partner. Tell us about Fem Fatal Fabulous. Would that break it? Because that's something that your character would know. Yeah, that but would, you are making that, it up. That would break it much less, if not at all, because we are accessing memories of my character. So, in which case, would you say that your idea of immersion? is when you do things that you feel your character would either know, recognize, and understand compared to if you make something up that has nothing to do with your character at all, like, say, describe what's in the room compared to describe what's in your office. Yeah, it's first person. I could describe stuff which are in my office while it would not take me too much from immersion if there's stuff which are related to my character. Like, there's a picture of my character and his best friend... I can help flesh out the story. That's where you push 
the immersion towards the story and the story towards the immersion because it's a spectrum. So there we go. We now have it. We have the definition of submersion and story for you. For you, immersion is everything that happens to your character, including background, plot, everything that... It's a character layer, actually. Your character would know, including making things up about your background or people you know, compared to story, which is making things up outside of your character's perspective and knowledge. When I'm making things up on the fly about my character, that's the bit of the character layer which is adjacent to the story layer. Mm -hmm. So the further you take me there, it will still impair my immersion. If you keep asking me questions about his past and taking me into flashbacks, which are not enacted, but which are just information I need to come up with on the fly, that's still taking me more towards story. But by the way, when you're talking about smoothness of moving from story to immersion to story for immersion, that's something a game master could do that rather than say, what's in that box? And oh, is is it going to impact our story today? (laughs) You, You could say... There's something very dear to you in that box. They could use a leading question, which is still more towards the character. But again, if you do it repetitively within a narrow time, I will still feel more in the story than the character layer. So what we have here is a distinct separation, but we're using the wrong words for it. Because for a lot of people, the words immersion and story can be the same thing. Mm. But in your case, they're very different. And I just wanted to get that perspective out. I don't know what words we should use. Smarter people than me have used maybe like first-person storytelling compared to third-person storytelling. Character layer works. I don't know what word. There's something there. But the words immersion and story are not it. Those are not the separations. And I had to just get that down because I was getting confused how that worked. That was my first point. My second one I'd like to come up to is actually about your statement about being able to just leave the table and not do anything else out. There is an unspoken social contract on every table. And it is the reason why when you role play, you should always consider other people's actions, statements, and ideas into question, even when you're immersed. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a cleric and you're in a party, it is technically mathematically more sensible to heal people when they are down than while they are still up. Because when you heal in D&D, you start at zero. When you do everything else, you start at that point. So if they take 30 hit points, I'm talking about hit points, and what about like massive damage rubbish, and they go down and you heal them, they'll start at zero up. Compared to if you heal them and they take a big part of damage, that would have put them way down and you've wasted your spell, right? So technically, you should only heal people when they are down because your healing and your action economy is far better off spent buffing, kicking butts, doing anything else than healing, and only when they are down, when you heal them up, does it matter. That's actually the game layer. Yes. However, that still makes you a d- You're still an ass because you're not healing people while they're up, and they're going to feel salty about that. They're going to be like, why aren't you healing me while I'm up? I just lost my action because you wouldn't heal me when I'm up. I could have done something. Why don't you help me out? Why don't you do this? And you're like, no, it makes more sense for me to heal you when you're down than when you're up. Game layer wise, this makes sense. And you're arguing this. But the social contract you have to put down with everyone else is that no matter what you do, you're still working with other people. And players can't get that. Some players can't understand that there is a group you're working with and you need to work with the group. And sometimes that means you need to make some some kind of choices yeah, you, on what you do because you're working with a group. And once and that is a big problem for a lot of players is the idea that you have to help your friends out. And it goes beyond D&D. Sometimes it goes with you taking action in a game like Call of Cthulhu. You're like, well, technically it mathematically makes sense that the person with the highest this should do this. But then that person's like, yo, I just took like 20 sanity hits because I was the highest person. Doesn't mean I need to keep going. Can someone else please make the roll? Or it makes sense for me to make the talking because I have the highest die, but you say things better and it's your plot line. And people can't distinguish between game layout, social contract, and player level to make that difference. And that's something that comes up. So when you get up and go, I don't want to play on this table anymore, the thing that runs through players' minds are, are these people going to accept me if I ever come back and do want to play a new game? Yeah. 
it's the group layer. So it's all those layers. And what's interesting with this way of framing things layers is that at the end of the day, ideally, no layer should impair another. Yes. So your immersion should not impair. The player layer as the player, the actual person around the table, mm-hmm. you need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> If you need to go to the bathroom, that's going to impair your immersion layer. Yes. But if you know to do get bathroom and someone right at the same time, they are right in the middle of the immersion layer. And as they are right in the middle of the immersion layer, you stand up and you say, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to be back. <laughs> come back and come in. And you're like, you, you broke the immersion. Which is why, I mean, that's also why I always say you should learn to come in and out of immersions, but that's just me. But carry on. If you really need to go, if you really, if I'm, I need to pee, I'm gonna go pee. Okay, I'm sorry your immersion's broken, but bruh, I need to pee. It's fine. That's why you need to be able to go in and out of the immersion. But if you can wait just a tiny bit. No, I need to pee now. I'm sorry. I've been holding it. You've been talking to this king for the last 20 minutes about your back. That's where I'm the sorry, problem, I don't care. That's, that's where the problem sits in immersion. It's been going on too long and it's been dismissive of the experience of the other. But, but that's it, everything what a GM is there for though. A GM is there so they know to give everyone different spotlights and you should know to grab the spotlight when you need to, for example, we need to end the scene now. I'm going to grab the spotlight, talk about it, and then go pee. Or go to bed when you play online and you got your, your <laughs> son at the nursery. I have fallen asleep like twice during the game. Don't judge me. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. I was really tired. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm slipping. No. Where are we right now? I think we... I'm gonna have we have... answered any, any statements? Well, there's a lot of questions which i just not going to ask. because No, we... no, no. Look, let's just get them all done. Let's we get re- them all done. No, 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 no. We're not because we, we recorded already way too much. Actually, I'm going to change the batteries. Okay, go for it.
I'm considering to do a, a two part of the, this one. So this way, uh, I'm sorted for November since we've been talking quite a bit. Uh, only we've been talking for two hours. Come on, man. It's yeah, not well, an episode is one hour, including the music. Just edit the parts where you're talking out and just put me on. I'm going to put either it's going to end up on Patreon or it's going to be a two parters. But anyway, Hello. it's time for the final question. Oh no. Or tribute to the Weekly Planet podcast, which I oh, recommend no. to check out. What you know the question? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. So, what are you reading? What are you gonna read? Ugh. So it doesn't have to be a book. It can be uh, you're actually gonna watch a movie. It doesn't matter. But it's about what are you consuming in terms of entertainment <sighs> at the moment, and what are you planning to consume? All right. So read wise, I'm currently going through the Rivers of London books. Why? Uh, Why? No reason. I'm just bored. You know, just just taking a cut, just casually reading some. Fine. I'm working on the Rivers of London for the Police Metropolitan Section, and that's a role playing game with Chaosium. And I'm going through it at the moment to try and remember how it is that the book works. It's interesting, actually, trying to learn about the Met from inside, considering the kind of climate that we're in currently right now, ACAB and all that jazz, and trying to figure out how people think and go through things and. I am finding out a lot of stuff that makes me both happy and sad at the same time about our Metropolitan Police. It's... <sighs> there is a lot that can be done to cut out the idea of ACAB to actually have a working world for police officers. And the idea of defunding the police is both terrifying and so enticing when I read more and more about the world that we're in. Do you know, for example that there is a lot of people who live outside of London that come into London to work for the Met. People who don't interact with people outside of their own circles, the same idea of diversity, who only know their general background neighbors and all that. I didn't think about that specifically for the Met. I'm not surprised. But actually, I watch a very good case made by a black person in the US regarding that because their community... Not sure where it was, but there it was something like easily 99% of the staff of their police lived in the suburbs outside of the city. And not only, you know, you can regret that in terms of community engagement, sense of belonging and so on. But this point was not even that. His point was that actually we subsidized the <laughs> suburbs with the budget of the city because all the money we put in the salary of those officers go straight out of the city to be spent in the suburbs and it's just so practical and rational and you're like yeah that's not right there's a serious problem with that and when it comes to the Met and people win it the other thing that's interesting is that you know how we're always like oh man you know how like crazy and corrupt the Met was in the 70s and 80s those people are still there those people from back then are still there and they're still leading people from today so we might sit here and be like, it's not what it used to be, but eh, those things about history and things like that and everything added to it, some of those values are still held by police officers today. And no amount of training and going over things can get rid of that. And I learned all of this from reading Rivers London and learning about the Met and going through like the manuals and knowing how it's to learn up and like the whole idea of its budget being massively slashed from 2016 onwards. And all, and like people not be able to get in because of this massive slash of budget. And, and there's so much about the Metropolitan Police that I'm learning that I, I find sometimes it makes me feel really weirded out about how it's might survive this long. And it also kind of comforts me to be like, you know what, Lloyd? Sometimes you were right about certain things about it. And I know not everyone that met is a corrupt and terrible person, but they're helping. And, they are trying to change on the inside. But are they changing in the right ways? And oh, there's, there's so much going on in there. All from trying, me just trying to learn about magical cops in, in London. <laughs> but I'm reading up about this and it, it's consumed my life. It's the beauty of role-playing game. You know, I miss that. That's why I love so much the game Nephilim. When I was playing it, I would read about adjacent stuff and learn about them through this as an excuse. But I really loved learning all this stuff. You know, one of the early project stuff that I like to do with Debralist was to make special episodes about different organizations with, with a role-playing game spin. So I'd be very interested in doing a special episode with people who work for the NHS, nurses, GPs, fine, 
tabletop RPG fans who work there. I thought the NHS would work in Blaze in the Dark, don't you? I thought that would work for, for Blaze in the Dark. <laughs> well, yeah, then there's playing a game or, or not with her or just having an, an interview uh, about that with people from this organization. I definitely would like to have one about TFL and one about the Met, you know, having people from the Met and check out my guide in Rivers of London. I'll give you everything you need. <laughs> okay. Um, but I mean, individual what RPG fans and our employees or officers or at whatever level in there. But just about the Met, I'm privileged. I'm white. I was born in uh, in Europe in a place with healthcare education, which is uh, much free. Uh, than oh, thank God for free healthcare, right, everyone? Right, everyone? What's weird for me, it's one of the few things I don't feel in my place to criticize the Met. Because when I travel to France, when I compare to what the police corps is like in Belgium, the Met is so much, at least it presents so much better because the training you mentioned, they don't exist in Belgium and France. The way you engage with the force, it's not as bad as it seems to be in the US, but I never felt secure by having police officers I mean we don't even call them officers in Belgium or France oddly enough although that's what they are but I engage with the Met more than we engage with the Belgian police and it's not to say but it's a joke like you know drunk officers or people covering up it's happening right in front of you in Belgium and there's so much conspiracies which are more than conspiracies because you have reason to think that they're right and uh, all of that feels so much more repressive and racist that when I arrive at St. Pancras, when I travel and uh, I've got a Met officer there, even just the way they present, I feel so much better about being in London and having the Met than I am when I'm in France. If I have a police officer, it turns me off right away. I think that makes a really good point. I was stopped and searched 12 times in 2012 when I was going to London. I never was. So that's the yeah. difference, of course. <laughs> I, I have a different perspective on the Met than most yeah. people do. But did they stop me because I'm a black guy in a hood? Yes. But did they stop me because I had anything to do with any crimes? No. They, it's There is a lot that goes into it in the police. And I'm not saying your experience with the Met or the Belgian police is invalid. Please feel free to go for it all the way through. But I've had a very interesting, is the word I'm going to use, relationship with the police for pretty much all of my life. And the biggest thing that I ever got drawn off, which strangely enough came from my mother, is that always remember that the police aren't there to work for you. They're there to work around you. And they're to work at you. The police do do a great job. There's police officers out there whom I fully respect and love. You know who you are if you're listening to this. I know you're listening to this because you listen to this podcast. And I love every single one of them to bits. But whenever I encounter a police officer in my life, I always have to remember that they're not working with me. And I have to conform to a certain level if I don't want to get my ass kicked or I don't want to cause a scene. And that's something that always at the back of my mind, whenever in all those 12 things where I had to meet and interact with people, I had to conform to that line. Because if I didn't, I didn't know where I was going to end up. Again, what's weird is that to a lesser extent, let's be clear, that's the perception, the experience I have of in the Belgium. police in Belgium and France. But again, clearly to a lesser extent, but it's not my experience here in London, which... By that, I don't mean at all that I 100% believe it's yours. But I find it fascinating that yeah, you still have this difference. So it's still better, but it, it's still very, very bad. But it's, it's still it's something I, you get used to. And that's a terrible way of present to be in. But this is why I'm really enjoying reading up about the Mets and seeing how that mindset's been. Because the more I read up, I'm more like, okay, so that's how you're supposed to think when you come up to these certain situations. And I have to always be like, but always remember, Lloyd, although it's written like this, these are people with their own prejudices and their own ideas and their own concepts of the way things not work. Not only people as individuals, but again, well, I mean, we were talking about X-Card and all those silly, silly things we do around the table. Oh, look at us. But a police officer is part of a culture and a group and there's group dynamics also at play not just an individual and the training no, there's the in between the unions the group and 
whatever happens, you're not going to get a bigger niche than the Metropolitan release in this world. That's just the way it has to be. But yeah, that's something I was reading currently, Rivers of London and about the Metropolitan Police. That's my reading. Uh, what am I reading at the moment? I was in the middle of Enola Holmes. Oh, the book. You're actually in the book. I watched oh, the no, movie. No, no, the movie. Uh, I'm in the middle. Yeah, because... You haven't finished Enola I'm a, Holmes? I'm a parent. That's I'm a excuse. parent with my mother staying over who doesn't speak English fluently. So I'm in the middle of Enola Holmes, which I was slightly disappointed to find out it's a movie and not a TV, TV show. Because it's much more bite-sized, easier in my... You know, I put my son to bed and if I'm lucky by half past eight is sleeping... Most of the time, it's nine, and then he wakes up early, or he's going to wake up during the night. So watching a two-hours movie is just something which is difficult. So, side note, I'm a big fan of detective noir and police procedurals. I'm a huge fan of them. I love them to bits. I like. I watch Protocol Freaking Sun for no reason. I love that idea of a guy going and investigating, figuring things out. So, I'm which makes act- you well suited to do Rivers of London. I mean, yeah, I know it's just like my kind of genre. But I absolutely love how wholesome Enola Holmes is as a TV series. Because usually you don't get wholesome in your detective movie, shows you or as a movie. And they did a great job in Nola Holmes. So well. Do you know the board game Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective? I heard of it, but I haven't played it. It's you versus Sherlock Holmes going through stuff and trying to solve a case technically before Sherlock Holmes solves the case. And in Nola Holmes, it feels like a game of Sherlock... Because she's solving the case one way, and Sherlock Holmes is solving the case another way. And it's all about which one will solve the case first. And I'm very much like, you go in, Nola. You take that punk down. I'm not that far. I did just, uh, spoiler alert, jumped out of the, the don't, train. Don't spoil it. It's not a spoiler. They jump off of a train. That's Lit- a spoiler. That is a spoiler. Literally or figuratively, we don't know. That is definitely a spoiler. But, <laughs> but I really like right around that time. So the reason she's where she is doing it, the thing is that she figured out, again, spoiler alert, Oh uh, my god, jump okay, forward. stop, stop, stop. No, no, stop. no, but Don't people, do this. spoiler alert, the people just, just, Don't just, say spoiler alert, doesn't solve anything. But it is now, because right now people are stopping play, and they're gonna do it now, if you haven't done it yet, stop it, and go watch Enola Holmes before listening to the rest of this they're episode. They're not gonna listen to the rest of the podcast, that's not a thing they're gonna do. I do it, I do it with the weekly podcast. Okay, so they're gonna look at the timer and be like, okay, why don't you just tell them when to start listening again, then one spoiler. They, they, they had plenty of opportunity right now. So now is the last warning. Stop now if you don't want to be... Oh, you could not give a spoiler. That could also work. But she works out with the flowers, the chrysanthemum, something about her mother, mm-hmm. and she follows the lead to catch up with her mother. And I really love that scene when you see Sherlock Holmes. It's not said. It's just... A, he looks at the flowers. He looks at something else. Nothing is said, but you can tell... That he's figured that it out. That he, he worked it out. He, he did not maybe work it out as she did or in as much details because he didn't have have the clues she has but he's like there's something going on with this thing and this thing and I know that and you know and he doesn't say it it's really well done it's really really well done isn't that why they're suing them for being so perfectly right about Sherlock Holmes so about that we are so off topic the the right holders of Sherlock Holmes allegedly sued Enola Holmes because they depicted Sherlock as a compassionate character, why they cannot sue when it's not described as compassionate. So that was a story which made the run on the internet. Turns out, the right holders from uh, Conan Doyle, who are not his descendant, by the way, they like cousins or whatever, they always sue anyway. <laughs> so, so the big story on the internet was actually a lot of BS. They just always sue... And that's what I expected when you do, you shoot something Sherlock Holmes and then you settle with them or just do the thing to, to get, get lost. Uh, just lost. Just leave. Uh, so, so it just happens all, all the time. Oh, fair dues. I'm glad for that. That's nice. Nice to know that people just randomly sue. So it's not, not, it's not If you, you go out there and do something in which Sherlock Holmes is a dead or someone with no feelings whatsoever, you're going to get sued <laughs> anywhere. Not, not sued, but you're going to have a whatever claim. Well, thank you for clarifying that for me. What's the next question? Your next question is, what are you going to read? What am I going to read? Is there something you notice and you're like, like I'm going to give my answer. I'm going to check out Marianne, since oh. you mentioned it. Oh, really? I want to check uh, some horror stuff, so I think it fits well. I'm going to watch 
the others also for as part of a film studies we're gonna feel do free you will like Marianne Marianne is the greatest horror movie it's a horror series of all time you're gonna check it out I'm quite curious about the and it's in French the sequel of also I can watch it with my mother because hey. she is great don't watch it with your mother do not watch it with your mother uh, what is that like sex content do, there's or? No, there is no sex content it's, do not do not watch listen this is one I'm doing right now she likes to fly Listen to this warning I'm giving you right now on this microphone. Later on, when you're editing this, you remember this. Do not watch Marianne with your mother, for the love of Christ. I'm agnostic. But, uh, I mean, she likes the fly. You know, the Jeff Goblin. Do not watch Marianne with your mother. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to watch Marianne with my mother. I'm going to watch a bunch okay. of horror movies. I, I'm quite yes. curious about the sequel to uh, The Hunting of Hill House. Oh yeah, The Hunting of Bell Mala. It's not a sequel. No, it's it's not a sequel. It's like anthology, so it's standalone. But it's going to be with some of the same actors who will play other characters. Yeah, so like American Horror Story or Slasher. Yeah, something like that. Or Twilight Zone, I guess. I guess. I guess. I, 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 Except I, Twilight Zone were single episodes. True. Anthology. So what about you? What are you going to read then? I'm going to read who wrote the song. I miss Vanessa Miles. Okay, um... Working my way downtown, working fast. I, I love this song. It's a beautiful song. <laughs> it makes me wish the days when we would do karaoke uh, parties. It, it reminds me of White Chick. Okay, so <laughs> Mouse Ritter is what is on my list. Mouse Ritter is an Into the Odd hack involving mice. Is it an OSR? <laughs> uh, it's close in, in. Into the Odd is OSR, let's be frank. And I am a big fan of Mouse Guard. But Mouse Ritter is finally getting a reprint, a proper reprint of a proper book with proper styling. And I am so down to party with Mouse Ritter that I am ready. Mouse Ritter is one of my favorite role players of all time. Like John Harper, Brendan Conway, and for my sins, Lucrine for Mouse God are like my three top indie games. John Harper's Lady Blackbird is a game I always tell people that if you ever want to learn role playing and get into indie role playing, start with that. Brendan Conway's mask is my favorite superhero god time. I worship it. It is god tier. And Mouse Guard is one of the very few games that I absolutely love running because it always gives me that feeling of power and of depression and of fear and of everything else added together. It puts it all in a nice little bubble and you throw it at players. And the players are like, what is going on? And you're like, I don't know. And it's great. And Mouse Ritter looking at it has like a lot of the elements of all three added together and it's into the odd style and i'm not really a big fan of like funnel games like dungeon crawl classics and stuff like that but most of it just appeals to me and i'm really looking forward to getting a physical copy of the fresh book when it comes out sometime at the end of the year or maybe at the beginning of the year next year and that's what i'm really looking forward to reading i'm like really excited i've got a pdf already from like the big bundle for racial justice on ho it's god and I'm looking forward to getting the physical in my hands. I played a, a session of Mouse Ritter. We were supposed to continue and then didn't happen, but I'd really like to play it again. I'd really like to play with you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I never it. get an invitation to your tables. I don't run games like that. You I don't do? I up. hear of people playing with you. Because they afterwards. ask me to run a game for them. It's a totally different thing. If you ask me to run a game for you, I'll probably run a game for you. I'm going to ask you I don't to run go, a game. Though. There's very few games I go out of my way to go, we're playing this today, boys. And usually those games are wild nonsense. And my friend John and Matthew are like, we're forced to do this. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Welcome to my hell. I thought you were running like monthly games at Modifius to test a whole bunch of games. Well, sometimes there. I do that. But like, usually those are off the record. And I'm supposed to run out with the people inside your company and not go outside because they're not betas. But even then, oh, I don't I'm need to. I'm part of the furniture at Modifius. Yeah, but I'd like, be in the then talk nobody. Sam. Sam will invite you in. Me, I'm just a dumb nonsense boy. Don't, honestly, don't, don't allow me for those. I don't run as often as I'd like to and I don't play as often as I'd like to. But when I do, it's usually because I'm being led to do it. Okay, this I'm going to try to lead that then. Let me know if you want to run something. I'll run something for you. I'm going to lead you. Maybe to- not small <laughs> I'd love to play some Mouse Ritter. Do you just play it or master it as well? I have no idea. I haven't played it yet. Mm. So when the book comes out, I'll let you know. I want to play For the Honor with you. That is a game we can play together that I really should finish like actually reading through and getting ready for it. I've read it and it's great. I really should go back to that. I love that game. It was really well done. Well, I like go, the concept yeah. of it. I demand a game of For the Honor. Okay, mom. 
I have your people call my people. Deal? Yeah, deal. But uh, I need you to come uh, join one of the session of my game. I will be there next time. I'm sorry. I keep... N next time is soon, you know, uh... on the gauntlet. It's next Monday, actually. I made it to this. What more do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it for today. That was quite a bunch. Probably going to ask you to come join me on a cafe already so we can... All the stuff like Deal. online conventions. Uh, What's that? Cool. <laughs> well, you know, we, we had a, did a thing for Albuquerque, and you were like, you're like, you're all idiots to think the online conventions is the new thing. I know the old, all the cool online conventions. <laughs> I was like, I want to know about them. <laughs> Y'all late to the online party, boy. But yeah. What's your goodbye? Where can people find you when you want to uh, be found? Twitter, and do you have anything else? Wolf, and that's it. I mean, I don't really. I don't really tend to plug anything on here because I'm really bad at plugging. That's like James my biggest James and Lloyd. Weakness. James and Lloyd episode will come sometime. I have to speak to James about it. What's the full we'll title of James and Lloyd? James and Lloyd read RPG blurbs so you don't have to. All right. Well, thanks very much. Uh, I have nothing else to do. It's all good. Enjoy uh, your late lunch. Uh. I will. Thanks, people, for listening. See you soon. I don't know what the next episode is going to be about or who because that's... That's a new normal. I don't have a backlog anymore. See you then. And uh, in the meantime, have a good day. Or have a good game. I, no, I should be better at the sign-off thing. Have good games. Have, a, have great games. This episode included I Am a Monster by Tiny Folk. Storytime by AJ Super. And of course, Solta of Rango or Team Song by Bondedo Roll. The logo of the Rollis podcast is designed by Rollin Kunz, and you can find it on notebooks, apparels, and even face masks, as well as more art by Rollin Kunz, inspired by tabletop role-playing games, and couple made by myself, on our T-Public store, linked in the description of this episode. We are closing this two-parter recorded with Lloyd. I hope you enjoyed our ramblings. I definitely had a lot of fun recording them and editing them. I will try to have Lloyd on Café Rollist at some point so we can discuss a bit more, maybe answer some questions which were not answered here, or talk about online conventions, about all that. So first of all, Café Rollist, I release a lot of them on our regular feed, but you can find the videos and even more recent episodes on YouTube, so I recommend you head there. Again, it's linked in the description of this episode. If you follow me, on Twitch, you could also watch these being recorded live and you could ask your question via the chat room. Usually I do that on Mondays at 2 p.m. GMT. That's 9 a.m. EST for you. So there might be more of that there. Uh, maybe we'll discuss more about layers of gaming. But in the meantime, you don't have to wait to hear more about this topic. Actually, you can hear Chris Vecchione and Sendalino tell you about it much better than I did. Because Panda's Talking Game released a new episode revisiting that subject of layers of gaming. Again, you will find a link in the description of this episode. So as I'm talking about following the Rollist on Twitch or subscribing to the Rollist on YouTube, I realized something recently. There are quite a few faithful listeners listening to the show through the website. That's great. I'm so thankful for that. And I'm working in the background. Or rather, I'm having someone work very hard for me. And I'm so thankful for that to get you a new website to make it easier for you to find episodes there and news and so on. It should be grand. I'm very excited about that. However, <laughs> as a avid consumer of podcasts myself, I would really, really recommend you to consider getting an app on your phone to listen to podcasts because it's way easier not to miss new releases. And actually, uh, I mean, I'm preaching for myself because having subscribers helps the show being noticed by more listeners on iTunes. So if you've got an iPhone, definitely subscribe to the show, please, on iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone, well, you can use Spotify on iPhone or Android phones or any phone, um, I don't know, Blackberries and stuff. Or you could download the app I am using to listen to my favorite podcast, which is Podcast Addict, which I believe is developed by a small company. So there you're supporting a, a small player, but also the app works very well. I'm subscribed to so many shows there. It's really helpful. You can even leave reviews in app. So yeah, get Podcast Addict or another app 
and subscribe and your life will be so much easier and uh, on the other hand of the microphone i will be so happy to know that i've got more subscribers and that the content i'm creating for you finds you more easily so that that was my advice uh, of an end of recording episode and again those apps might make it easier for you to leave a review for the Rollis podcast which really helps really encourages me you can leave also a review on Podchaser, which I don't think they have an app, but they got a nice website. And not only on Podchaser, you can leave reviews to individual episodes and I can reply to you. So that's rather cool. But also now they list the guests on episode. So if you like one of my guests and then you go to Podchaser, you can click on that person and you will find other podcasts they were the guest of or that they hosted, and so on. Podchaser is a rather cool tool. At first, they were trying to be the IMDB of podcasting, but I find they're doing much more than that. So Podchaser is really worth checking out. I mentioned that one thing I'd like to have discussed more with Lloyd Gann is online conventions, because he's very aware of a lot of excellent online conventions, which were there even before this terrible pandemic started. So maybe that's what we will discuss again on Cafe Rollist. But this laborious segue here that I'm doing is trying to build up an excuse for myself to mention to you something that I'm going to do soon. And I hope you will take part to. To do so, you will have to be fluent in French or in the process of trying to listen to more French content and improve your language skills this way. What I'm talking about is the return of CyberConf with CyberConf 2.0, which so far has been by far my favorite convention online. I've been to quite a few now. This weekend we had Metatopia and Akadecon. Metatopia, where I recorded a panel, and hopefully it will be available on YouTube also somewhat soon, and I will release it on the podcast feed. Be to Akadecon. I'm about to go to Grok Meetish, but by the time this is released, I should have been there. Uh, virtually Expo. All these conventions, they pulled off a, a massive amount of work to deliver something online in a short notice. But so far, my favorite by far was CyberConf. So I really recommend if you want to practice your French or if you're already fluent in French to go check it out. Again, link in the description of this episode. Because I'd like to share that convention with more people. I mean, I love that convention, especially the Twitch stream, which was continuous with panels. But in between, you had a free radio, keeping always something happening on Twitch. You could leave your Twitch on all day, even all night, because they had people from Quebec, French Canada, to take care of the free radio, even in the middle of what is the night here in Europe. And uh, it made everything very warm. And great to follow in the chat room, really built a sense of community. And yeah, I'm frustrated because I'd like to share that experience with more English-speaking listeners and TTRPG fans, but it's in French. So I'm just hoping, waiting, maybe I'll try to encourage online conventions in English to rise up to this challenge of meeting their standards. But, but there you go, you should definitely go check CyberConf 2.0 again. Go check the description of this episode. And that's it. Um, we are a bit further in the future compared to when the episode was recorded, but I still don't know what's, who will be my guest next month. The new normal. Um, by the way, if you're based in London and you're willing to meet me in a park with hand sanitizers and disinfectant for my microphone and masks on, in an outdoor setting, I'd be very keen to interview you for the Race Podcast because I'm running out of people to interview in person in those very difficult conditions. So feel free to contact me if you, you think you'd be keen to do that. So we'll find out together what's happening next month. See you then. And in the meantime, have good games. Nós é tipo bem Jesus, todo mundo a gente ama ainda mais se for gatinha rola até levar pra cama.
Ouais, Batouk! Polet! 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 Sans tout flingue, il fait quoi, j'ai? Hey, how are we listening to a little bit of music? How did you know? I love this song! Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass and I'm homebound. And I need you. And I miss you And now I wonder If I could fall Into the sky 